Hi, beloved women of the hours. Did you know that Rihanna has a line of socks? I knew because I know everything about Rihanna. Rihanna has a line of socks. And they're only available from our sponsor, Stance.com. That's S-T-A-N-C-E dot com. Go get yourself some Rihanna socks. This year, you deserve it. I am Lena Dunham, and this is Women of the Hour. Today, we have a bonus episode for you. Who doesn't want a bonus anything? Papa, do you like to be able to hear yourself on your, or do you like, would you rather just talk? No, I think I'd prefer to just talk. Okay. Do you mind if I have headphones on? No, I'm not finding that uncomfortable. (laughs) No. Okay, great. So we here at Women of the Hour are very excited. We have Carol Dunham, and he is an artist. He is a writer. He is uh, my father. Hi. Hi, Lena. (laughs) Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Something that I've wanted to talk to you about in a more formal context for a long time was your relationship to the psychedelic in your life and your art. For someone my age with my background, it was certainly not unique to be interested in getting high and taking trips. And when we were young, we all did that. I don't think I went anywhere with it that was terribly interesting. I'd been turned away from all that stuff when I got focused on art. It was more on my own after we started our family and everyone, all the personnel were in place. At some point, I started thinking again about, about altered states as something that would be interesting to explore. And I started reading a lot. I somehow had heard about this guy, Terrence McKenna. and I, So I started listening to Terrence McKenna's lectures and reading a lot of I remember listening to them and, in the car with you. Yeah, probably. And then it went off from there. And then I, you know, I did some research, found a way to get a hold of some mushrooms, and started uh, messing around with it again for a while. Was it something that you had to take time and find time to do? Because you obviously like can't take mushrooms when you have to have dinner with your kids. It's something that you have to create a space for. Yeah. Somehow I did. I would arrange it with your mother so that I could have a day to myself. But again, it was I, I'm you know, I'm a pretty conservative person, as you know. That's one of the reasons why, and I hope this is okay to mention, when I was reorganizing our fridge at age fifteen for veganism purposes and I found your mushrooms, I was trying to separate Dairy meat and I, I was going to mention that if you did, I figured that was that the the horrible trauma of finding a plastic container full of mushrooms was probably the reason this entire podcast is happening. <laughs> well, <laughs> I remember I found them, and you were at the grocery store, which was two blocks from our house. And I don't know if you remember me running to the grocery store, weeping and screaming, "My childhood's been a lie!" Yeah, I do as remember. I hurled the canister of mushrooms at you. It was good stuff. And, I mean, what? When we, I, had to, we had to talk it through to get it into some perspective. Well, I was like, my dad's a drug addict. I was like, this is disgusting. I live with a drug addict. And you were like, I do these once every six years. And, and But part of it was I thought of you as like kind of, you always made me go to bed at 730. You always, I mean, I knew you were an artist and you painted funky shit, but I didn't understand that there would... The idea that there'd be another dimension to it was shocking to me. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've always, as an alcoholic who became sober, I 
appear to be very abstemious and live a fairly disciplined life in terms of getting my work done and taking care of the of the business at hand. So I'm sure for a teenager with all the sort of florid thought processes that go along with that, it was probably both exciting and horrifying. Were you embarrassed or were you just like, this bitch better get it together? Cause both. Yeah. I wasn't embarrassed exactly. I I was kind of annoyed at myself for even letting such a thing occur. It seemed like I should have seen that coming. But at the same time, I was kind of thinking it wasn't the worst thing in the world as a sort of, hey, Lena, wake up and smell the coffee. Well, as an adult, coming back to psychedelics as an adult man with an art career and children, what was the experience of tripping like for you at that point? Well, completely different. I mean, completely different to what I had remembered from when I was younger. It's very inward, you know, very internal. Lots of interesting thoughts. I'm I'm a cautious person, too, so I haven't put myself in a situation of extreme psilocybin intoxication. I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't used these things in years. When's the last time you think you tripped on anything? Probably 12 years ago, 10 oh. years ago. I think the last time that I had a experience that was really different, uh, really altered, was when I was uh, trying to figure out what salvia divinorum was. And I did a few sessions with that. And that was, that was actually a far more, ex far more extreme experience than anything I'd experienced in anything I'd had happen to me on mushrooms. I actually stole some from you and did it with my college boyfriend and didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah, that probably wasn't the best idea. No. I remember thinking I was in a video game and then barfing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I've always had this kind of impression that your art was like a conduit for all your craziest thoughts and that like behind it I was going to find, if I really got to the bottom of it, I was going to find like your the true nut job inside my father. And I remember... Finding the mushrooms fed that idea, and then one day I decided that I was going to look in your journal, which was on your desk, and I was like, won't find anything too nutty it was there. finally time, and I opened it, and it was like, what is a triangle? And I was like, <laughs> this fucking blows. I was like, oh, this is what you've been thinking no, about it, on drugs. No, it's disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I make basically pictorial artwork, and that's probably the site of most of my visionary experience that comes through physically making things. I think art is a lot more interesting than drugs are and uh, takes you to much deeper levels of interpretation about life. You wrote some letters with Terrence McKenna, didn't you? We corresponded a couple of times. I didn't feel he was terribly interested <laughs> in what I had to say, although he did answer my first letter um, pretty seriously. Wasn't it about rectangles? Yeah, 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 good memory. It was a question about rectangles you had for him. I mean, I had made the observation for years and had thought about it that the ubiquity of rectangles in human culture is noteworthy. There's a ton around us right now. Well, we're sitting inside of one and a nested box of them, really. And I wanted to know if he thought that there was some sort of force intruding on human experience that took the shape of rectangles. Because he was always talking a lot about things coming back at us from, you know, sort of the end of time emanating back into human time and how it might influence our 
perceptions and behavior. And I thought rectangles were an under-discussed aspect of this. So I wrote him and tried to frame that question. And he answered. He wrote me a letter about crystals. Oh. Which was interesting to think about because crystals are interesting to think about. What's the quote that you always share with us, the Alan Watts quote? You don't know enough to be scared? That's something McKenna said. That was a McKenna. You don't know enough to be worried. (laughs) (laughs) Which I, I think about all the time. One of the reasons why I think your philosophical life was so sort of clear to me in a certain way, even when I was too young to understand it, is because you always completely refused to in any way do the thing of pretending the universe wasn't what you thought it was to Grace and me. So there was no, like, your your cat went to a farm in the sky. There was no, you know, when people are very old, but you're not going to have to worry about that for a long time. Like, (laughs) you weren't scaring us, but I remember, like, very early you saying you're born alone and you die alone, and you being like, it's... (laughs) Sorry I said that. No, it's okay. And you We're all terminally ill, that kind of stuff. That was one that I heard around eight... And then I remember one day I said, I don't feel like I'm in my body. I feel like everything is a dream. And you said, maybe it is. (laughs) Well, I was like having a teenage flip out. I'm sorry. You shouldn't be sorry. But I wondered what your relationship to talking to your kids about this stuff was. Like, did you just decide, like, I'm just going to be straight up about what I think is going on here? I think so. I don't know if I thought it through from the point of view of its impact on you and whatever. And I'm sure that your mother and I saw it differently. Like, I always thought it was better to be straight with you about what we all did when we were younger. You know, I wasn't going to pretend I didn't smoke a lot of weed and drink all the time when I was younger. It just seemed pathetic to do that. My generation was probably the, you know, the first one to deal with the fact that our parents were utterly clueless about what we were doing. I mean, parents always were clueless in the sense that kids are trying to get away with stuff, but... My parents didn't know what marijuana even was, much less LSD. And I thought they were idiots for around... I mean, I I liked them a lot, but around these topics, I thought they were just completely lame. And I didn't want to be lame to my kids. And I think kids are smart enough to know that their cat's not going to a big farm up on the top of Mount Jellybean. It's like there are things that aren't that horrible to say. Was my feeling. You know, I didn't talk baby talk to you, and I don't think you should make up these. I mean, Santa's fine for a little while, but a lot of this stuff just doesn't need to be done. I remember when you told me that there was, that for us to assume that there were or weren't aliens was literally the most egotistical thing we could possibly do. You were like, how the fuck would we know if there were aliens? Well, I just take it as a given now that the whole universe is alive. Yeah. It's just simply logically nuts to me to think that whatever life is, it could only happen here. And questions about atheism, God, belief, all of that, to me, they're just the wrong questions. They don't mean anything. You started your spiritual life as a young person who'd like suffered their own personal tragedies, but hadn't had like an incredible amount go wrong. And you're now an adult with two adult children. You don't have parents anymore and you don't have a brother anymore. And you've seen some people leave the universe. Has that experience of having, for lack of a better word, your family die, has it changed your relationship to spirituality or have you invoked any of the stuff that you've learned as a person who's been on like some kind of quest for a long time? 
I think I'm with the Jews on this one, that these, the people that I've loved and, or that was in some sort of loving relationship with who have died live on in my memory. It's a, it's a tissue. It's a web of memories, acknowledgments of the memories, discussion of the memories, reminiscences. Do you think they're in your artwork? I make much more now than I did when I started making my work. I, I make much more of the connection between lived experience and whatever art represents. When I was young, and the story I needed to tell myself was that my explorations in painting had nothing to do with my lived experience. They were a completely parallel, separate thing. Now I can look back and I see that when you were born, my work changed. When your sister Grace was born, my work changed. When my only sibling died, my work changed. I mean, that you know, that I can't ignore that. It's, it's, it's right there. There's pictorial evidence of it. I don't think I could probably express very well in words what the change is or what it quote-unquote means, but I think these things live on in you and they come out in the things you do. Do you think you'll ever do acid or mushrooms again? I don't know. <laughs> How would I know that? <laughs> I don't know. You might have a plan that I don't know about. You may be planning a trip. No, I don't have any plans. I have plans in my art, and I have plans in my life to some extent, but no. I Probably, I mean, actually, if you're honestly, probably not. Lived life is too stressful and jangly and already highly stimulating. And I don't seem to have any shortage of wacky ideas right now. So I don't feel like there's there, there's a door screaming, you know, Mr. Dunham, come through this door. I kind of feel like I went through the door. And I'm now I'm, you know, I have to live my life, do my work, be with the people I want to be with. Really good answer. Thank you very much for being here, Carol. You're welcome, Lena. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me as well. Love you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> okay. No matter how difficult this world can get, you know what you always need? Socks. Every morning, you still got to put on socks. And here's a great place to get those socks, Stance.com. They've even got a line of socks from Rihanna, because even Rihanna puts on socks. And Willow Smith designed some socks. Who do I have to fuck to design some socks? 